Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. All right, good morning, good morning, Fusion Church, 6 a.m. soap. Can you hear me all right? Thank you, Doug. Somebody give me a thumbs up, <laughs> Bob. I appreciate you guys. Um, this morning, we are in 1 Samuel 18. We have a lot, a lot to go over. Um, there's so much happening in this chapter um, of the Bible. So I'm just going to jump right into it. I'm going to pray and then we're going to begin. Father, we love you. We just thank you for this time, Lord God. We thank you for your word as we do every day. And the opportunity that we have just to dig into it, Lord, and learn more from you, Father. Be with us during this time. And uh, we just love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right. First Samuel 18, and I am reading from the New King James Version. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it had happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have described, ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the, but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day that the, that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand, and at, as, at, as at other times, excuse me, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him captain over a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Verse 17, then Saul said to David, here is my older daughter, Merib. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So David said to Saul, who am I and what is my life for my father's family in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But it happened at the, the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the, the Meholathate, as a wife. Now, Michael, Michal, excuse me, Saul's daughter loved David, and they told Saul the thing, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, You shall be my son in law today. 
And Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly and say, look, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke these words in the hearing of David. And David said, does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am poor and lightly esteemed man? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, in this manner, David spoke. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry but one hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired, therefore David arose and went, he and his men, and killed two hundred men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full count to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave his gave him Michal his his daughter as a wife. Thus Saul thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war, and so it was, whenever they went out, that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. Amen. All right. There's a, so much going on here in this passage of Scripture. Um, so I start from the beginning, verse 1. When he had finished speaking to Saul, so Saul, uh, David had just spoken with Saul after he killed Goliath, after he presented the head of Goliath that we talked about yesterday. Um, and he, he performed this this incredibly heroic deed, and it was and it was initially welcomed by by the leadership. Um, but it says the soul of Jonathan Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Jonathan, the son of Saul, you know, he appeared before in First Samuel fourteen, and he was a brave man, a man of faith, and and he had you know we read he initiated a, a one man war against the Philistines, and you know so he he, he loved the Lord and he loved David. He was a lot like David. They were they were close in age. Um, some scholars believe roughly five years apart. David at this time, after killing um, Goliath, um, again, uh, different scholars and, and you know commentators believe different things. But figure thirteen to fifteen years old, he was still young. I mean, he my man had just been in the in the in the fields as a shepherd boy, you know, and now he was killing Goliath and about to be appointed as general over over men. You know, but they, but Jonathan and David, they were so alike. They were bold. They were, they both had great trust in God, and and they were both men of action. And most of all, they both had a real relationship with God, a real relationship with God. That's so key in anything that we do, is that we have a relationship with God, and we have people around us who have a real relationship with God. You know, it's it's one thing if you know you if you're close with the Lord, but if you have friends who are knuckleheads, you know, like they are going to influence you in a negative way. So having friends who who are, who are genuine, true followers of Christ is so important. But no matter how much alike they were, they were still very, very different. Jonathan was the firstborn son of a king, while David was the lastborn son of a farmer. And this made Jonathan the crown prince. And by, by everyone's expectation, Jonathan was going to be the next king of Israel. Um, and so, but it says how, how their, their souls were knit together. And this happened after David spoke to Saul. See, Jonathan heard 
David give you know an ex- extended explanation of his heart and his, his his faith in the living God. And Jonathan knew that he and David had the same heart, you know, and they could not have been such close friends until David heard, uh, excuse me, Jonathan heard David's heart. And the way the way most people think, Jonathan was the one who had the most to fear from David. Yet he loved David because of what they had in common a real relationship with the Lord God. And this relationship with the Lord was bigger than any difference that they could have ever had. It says in verse four, he took his off the robe that was on him and gave it to David, his armor, his sword, his bow and his belt. When Jonathan gave David the robe and his armor, he said, by this action, you will be the next king of Israel. You should be dressed and armed as the crown prince. God's hand is on you. And these princely things belong to you as the next king of Israel. And because Jonathan was surrendered to God, he could see the hand of the Lord on David. And he knew David's destiny was was perfectly willing to set aside his own ambition to honor the Lord's choice. And for his part, David received the robe in Jonathan's armor. But he didn't say it and think, all right, you know, God, that, that's good. That's right, Jonathan. You know, you recognize who's the boss, who's the man. You know what I'm saying? He still received it with a humble heart because it would still be another 20 years, 20 years, brothers and sisters, 2-0 before David became king. And if Jonathan were, was ready to recognize David as God's choice for the next king, David was willing to let God put him on the throne and to do it in God's timing. So both of these men, was thoroughly submitted to God. And David couldn't receive Saul's armor, but David did receive Jonathan's armor. And not because they were similar in size, but because uh, they, they, they had the same soul. They both loved God and lived more for him, you know, and for others than they did for themselves. And David and Jonathan both knew that, the, that um, if the circumstances were reversed, that David would do the exact same thing for Jonathan because, again, they had the same soul. You know, if the issue of, of who will be the next king were not settled in the hearts of Jonathan and David, they could have never had this close relationship. They loved each other more than the throne of Israel because they loved the Lord more than the throne of Israel. Verse 5 says, David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. David was fully submitted to Saul and sought to serve him wisely in every way. David knew the way to be blessed, and it was to work hard to be a blessing to his boss. We should He, he would not um, you know, undercut Saul's position or authority in any way. Even though he knew he was going to be the king, he was still honoring the man that was before him. And David quickly became popular among the people and all the leaders, but he did not seek this popularity. And then, and, and, and he didn't depend on anything to gain popularity. David became popular because he was a man after God's own heart. He put God first in everything he did, and God blessed him. You know, the people could see the love, they could see the wisdom, they could see the peace of God upon him. And so the people start singing and they're saying Saul's slayed a thousand, but David has slain 10,000, right? 
you know, he David became very, very popular when the people started when, when the people you know started singing. Everyone knew David was more popular than Saul. Listen, when when people are singing, when women are are, are, are singing and dancing in your honor, you're pretty dang popular, right? People love you, and and, and then when it happens in all the cities of Israel, you're extremely popular. But David wisely received this popularity because verse uh, verse 14 is going to say of this period of David's life, David behaved wisely in all his ways and the Lord was with him. He could receive this praise, this adulation, right? But he didn't let it get to his head. You know, it, it when you know, David was happy to hear the words, I'm sure. I'm sure it made him feel good. But he didn't let it dominate his thinking or change his opinion of himself. You know, I don't know how I would have reacted if I if people were singing and dancing for me. You know, I got a big enough head, you know, and I'd have been whew, I'd be like, come on, puff my chest out. But David had such a humble heart. And this wasn't easy. This was a test. This was a test. You know, one, one the devil wanted to use to bring David down. And one the Lord wanted to use to build David up. David never received this kind of affirmation when he was watching sheep. The sheep never sang and danced for him. But now David was, was you know, he, he had to face the challenge of success. And many people who handle adversity well fall under the challenge of success. But because David could be so content and so happy before the Lord and keeping sheep with no praise, with no popularity, it put his heart in the right place to handle it when he received praise and popularity because his heart was right in the shepherd's field. David behaved wisely in all his ways when praise and popularity came. Saul was very angry. Verse 8, knowing his character, we're not, we're not surprised by Saul's reaction, right? Saul did not have a right or close relationship with the Lord. All he had to affirm his heart was the praise of man. So when David was more praised, it really bothered Saul. It's a bad sign in a leader when they resent or feel threatened by the success of a subordinate. It's a sure sign of weakness in the leader. Listen, as a leader, we should want those who are coming up behind us to go further than us, right? It's kind of like as a parent. We want our kids to do better than us. We want our kids to be more successful than us. We want those that we're discipling to go further in the kingdom. You know, I I would be I would be as a pastor, I would be overjoyed if if some of the people within within you know my location that I have the honor of pastoring, you know, left and did even greater things for the kingdom, right? You know. I would, I would, I would be so honored just to just to be a part, a small part of their success. But Saul was so selfish, right? And he was grasping onto the throne because that's where his whole identity was was in the throne. His identity was not in the Lord. Where David, you know, he could he could have cared less about the throne because my man, after he slayed Goliath, he was ready to go back to work with the sheep, you know. He had already been anointed as the next king, you know, but that's not where his priority was. Saul says, now what more can he have but the kingdom? This is this is a typical overreaction of someone who's proud and insecure. Saul could have thought, David did good. 
Let him receive his praise. Maybe I'll receive praise later on. But instead, he overreacted and said, now what more can he have but the kingdom? As if to say, David's already king in the eyes of the people. He might as well just take it. You know, and so, however, there's another dynamic at work in, in Saul, you know, a guilty conscience. He remembered what Samuel told him, that the Lord had rejected you over king, uh, over, over Israel. Saul knew that his own sin disqualified him from being king. And so he clung to the throne. You know, he did not want to let it go. An honorable man would have just stepped down. But if Saul were an honorable man, he wouldn't have been in this mess in the first place. If Saul were, if Saul were an honorable man, his son Jonathan would have been the next king because Saul would have been done doing right and would have been obedient to the Lord. But instead, his disobedience took the throne, took the took what could have been a dynasty of his family and ripped it from his grasp. Saul constantly worried, when is this going to happen? When am I going to lose my throne? Who is God going to replace me? And so seeing someone like David, you know, in hindsight being 2020, we know David becomes the next king. But at the time, Saul didn't know who was going to be the next king. So right away, seeing someone becoming popular, being successful, right, the people loved, right away, his first thought is, that's my enemy. He's the one that's going to take it from me. Yet the crowds did praise Saul. You know, they did sing, uh, Saul has slain a thousand. But for Saul, it wasn't enough. It, was, it wasn't enough to say thousands as long as someone else was doing better than him. So Saul, verse 9, I, David, from that day forward. Now Saul's mind was filled with suspicion towards David. He began to hear nearly everything David said with suspicious ears. He looked at David's actions with suspicious eyes. And his thoughts were constantly twisted by suspicion. And verse 10 says, this distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. This distressing spirit was first mentioned in uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16. And it came upon, uh, came upon Saul, permitted by the, the Lord, when the spirit of God departed from Saul. And David was brought in that, in that, that time to, to, uh, to the court to play music so that Saul could be uh, ministered to and, and he could be soothed from the spirit. You know, and it says, and he prophesied inside the house. Now, you know, how would a, a um, distressing spirit make Saul prophesy? That's 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 kind of confusing, right? But Saul wasn't speaking from the Lord at all. He wasn't prophesying from the Lord. The word prophesied here is is kind of a a bad translation of of the original Hebrew. The Hebrew grammar here can be used of both idle ramblings. Right, as well as prophecy from the Lord. So, really, Saul was babbling like a madman. Okay, he was not actually prophesying, he was just speaking incoherently. Right, and Saul played music with his, excuse me, David played music with his hand, the same hands that had killed Goliath and carried his, his bloody head as a trophy, now sweetly played music to the Lord ministering to a troubled king. David, you know, he had obviously had skillful hands both in war and, and in music ministry, but more, more remarkable was his humble heart. Most men after, after fame, that the, the fame that, that came to David would consider this kind of service beneath them, right? Like I used to, I used to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm over men now. I'm a warrior. I ain't got time for playing no harps or nothing like that. 
But David had a humble heart and he went where he was sent to serve, no matter what. No matter what. It's easy for us, you know, especially in the church, when you get a little bit of status, right? You are you're leading a ministry, right? You're a connect group leader. You know, you're a, a, a you're on staff at the church, you're a pastor of the church. It's real easy for us to forget the ministry that still happens at the church. And you will never find any anyone, no matter what level they are of, of our church, Fusion Church, not doing the work that needs to be done. You will never see it. And there are people, in my opinion, who don't need to be doing menial things, right? They don't need to because of who they are, but they still serve. Every one of our elders in the church serves. And I come from a church background where if you're an elder, it's like you walk on water and you float everybody up above everybody else with your holiness. Our elders still serve with a joyful heart, right? We have elders in the parking lot. What church has an elder parking cars? What church has an elder, like my man Doug, singing and dancing, you know, my man knows he can't dance, but he's still out there dancing and worshiping the Lord, right? Because of a humble heart, all right? If you come to Cumberland County, you're going to see Pop every single weekend putting up pipe and drape, putting up chairs, and then he's right there in the front greeting people, sitting people down because of a humble heart. That was David. David had a heart after God. So no matter what, how successful he was, he was still going to serve wherever he was called to serve. He was already a warrior. He was already slaying Philistines, right? But here we see this mighty man of war taking the time to minister to a troubled king. That is the heart of David. It says in verse 11, and Saul cast the spear, right? And, and um Saul had was holding the spear and he had a distressing spirit, you know, and, and instead of receiving the ministry of, of David's music, the distressing spirit prompted Saul to strike out at Daniel, uh, David, excuse me. And, and we, 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 can, we can't say that this distressing spirit made Saul do it, but he prompted Saul to throw the spear. And this was the same music that at one point soothed Saul, made him refreshed and well, and gave him relief from the distressing spirit. But now it had no effect at all. And Saul responds to David's music with a murder attempt. David's ministry and heart did not change. Saul did. And for the worse, and that, re and that refusal set the stage for this kind of violence. But what's interesting to me, it says, but David escaped his presence twice. That's, that's probably the most remarkable word in this chapter, twice. This means that Saul threw the spear twice. Saul missed twice. That means after the first miss, David came back and continued ministering to him. Listen, I'm going to tell y'all what. <laughs> Let's be real, guys. If I'm David, right, and homie throws a spear at me, I'm gone. You know, or I'm going to take that spear, I'm going to throw it back. But that's just me. That's just me. David was, uh, was, was so humble because, again, the Lord 
put something for him to do, and he did it. He did it humbly. And then even when when, when my man tried to murder him, he went back to continue his job to continue what he was called to do. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. By all outward appearances, Saul was in control. He had the throne. He had the army. He had the spears that he was throwing at David. Yet Saul was afraid because the Lord was with him. And Saul knew the Lord was not with him. He knew the Lord was with David. And that made him afraid. But all Israel and Judah loved David. David became even more popular because God was with him. You know, and, and David, I'm sure he was tempted to use his popularity as, as a spear against Saul, but he refused. It says he went out and came in. This is a this is a Hebrew figure of speech, meaning David um, was continually conducting successful military operations. He would go out and come in. He would go and fight a, fight a war, and he would come back. He would go, and so he was constantly constantly fighting for Israel. God's hand of success was was with David, even though Saul was against him. And Saul might might attack. He might hurt and try to you know you know cause pain to David in any number of ways. But God would not allow Saul to have the victory. So now we have the story of of, of Saul presenting his daughter, right? And he he offered his first daughter to David, but then through a series of events, he gave the daughter to somebody else, right? So then you know his uh, his younger daughter, Michal, she loved David. So Saul devised a plan to get David. He devised a plan. You know, and it didn't surprise us that, that McCall was attracted to David because of his character, his qualities, his fame. But as, 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 as evident later on in the marriage, we're eventually going to read, she was not really attracted to David's heart for the Lord. And then we talk about a dowry. You know, and and in that in that time, you know, a dowry had to be given for you know the, the man had to give a dowry to the to the father of the, of the bride, right? But he's a humble shepherd. He ain't a rich guy. The dowry to the daughter of a king, that's got to be a whole lot, right? So again, Saul devises a plan. You know, he's just like you know, hey, get me the foreskins of a hundred Philistines. And we cool. You could have my daughter, right? You know, and and this was a very this was there's, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of trickery in this, right? For a couple of reasons. One, hundred that means he's got to kill a hundred men, right? So there's a chance that David could be killed in this attempt. And then two, when the Philistines see this, and they see their men killed, and their and their their men mutilated. By their by the by how they're going to view it, now they're going to want to kill David even more. He even he even um, coded David by using the, the term that David himself used against Goliath. He referring, he says, "Go get those uncircumcised Philistines." And that's the same thing he said about Goliath. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Right. In other words, using David's own words against him, but it says it pleased David well. David had such a pure, humble heart that he seemed to be blind to Saul's manipulation. But a man, a woman can survive treachery like this if God is with him. 
So it says he went. He arose and went, and he and his men, and they killed 200 men. Not just 100, 200 men. David answers Saul's attempt at manipulation by taking control of the situation and being a humble servant and by giving him more than what was required. So then it says, verse 28, thus David saw and knew that the Lord was with David. Did not David, excuse me, Saul did not use this knowledge to stop trying to kill David. He did not find it in his heart to respect David and make a way for, for the Lord's choice to, 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 smooth, to, to smoothly come to the throne. You know, instead, the closer David got to the Lord, the further he got from Saul, and Saul was still more afraid of David. Everything that David did made Saul more afraid. It says, David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul so that his name became highly esteemed. Saul's plan completely backfired. David is not only alive, but also more more popular and closer to the Lord than ever. And Saul isn't finished. We're going to read a whole lot more about what Saul tries to do to get to get David. David's wise behavior, his, his, his high esteem were, were closely connected to his humble heart. And the same is true. And I'm going to begin to close here. The same is true and even in a greater sense of the son of David. That's going to come so many hundreds and thousands of years later. The son of David, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is of the line of David. Jesus Christ falls under the lineage of David. So when, we, when we're going to read here in the you know, next few weeks how he, uh, God says that your throne will be established forever, it's because of Jesus Christ who right now is sitting on the throne, not just of Israel, but of the entire world. Amen. And it says in Philippians 2, 9, it says of Jesus, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. And why is it that the name of Jesus became highly esteemed? Well, it goes on, it says in Philippians 2, beginning with verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being formed in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. My brothers and sisters, this mind, this heart was in David. And this mind and this heart is in Jesus Christ. And God wants this same mind and this same heart to be in each and every one of us. And we can have that. We can have that same heart of Christ. We can be a man after God's own heart. We can be a woman after God's own heart. All we have to do is foster and develop this relationship with Jesus Christ every single day. It's more than just Sunday morning. It's more than just 6 a.m. soap. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you're only coming to church for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday, and you're only logging on soap for 30 minutes, five days a week, you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're checking off a box. You're doing that. You're doing what by your own definition is what you're supposed to do. Right. But no, God wants a daily relationship. Right. He wants a daily communication with you. He wants to be in communion with you. The word says pray without ceasing. Right. This means we're continually talking to him. We're continually praying to him. We're continually in conversation with him. Right. You can talk to God the same way you talk to me. You talk to anybody else. Right. If you just picture, picture you're, you're the best friend you ever had in the world. Right. Best friend, whoever it was at whatever point in your life. And you guys can just kind of hang out. 
You know, you're sitting on the couch talking about nothing, yet talking about everything. That is the relationship that God wants with you. What you think is mundane, God doesn't think is mundane because you're his child, right? My baby girl, she comes to me when I come home and she yells, daddy, daddy, and she runs and she babbles incoherently, right? I have no idea what she's saying, but to her, it's the most amazing things. And I, and, and But I love it. I don't know what she's saying to me. She's two years old. I have no idea, right? But I love hearing it, right? And I love taking her up in my arms and hugging onto her and sitting with her and watching all the stupid baby shark stuff. Listen, I'm so sick of baby shark. Oh, my sweet baby. I'm so, I'm so sick of it. But my baby loves it, right? Loves it. And so when I can spend, those are the times that she's going to remember. Christ wants to be that father to you. It doesn't matter what you're talking about, no matter how mundane, he wants to take you in his arms every single day and sit with you and commune with you and talk to you. And I'm telling you right now, I mark my words, and you can talk to any of the other saints on this, on, on, on this Zoom, on this podcast, on this YouTube. When you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you will, he will speak to you and you will hear him. But if you're not in a relationship with him, you cannot recognize his voice. You will not have the heart. You will not have the have the mind of Christ if you are not in a relationship with him. And if you are not seeking that relationship with him every single day. Amen. I'm going to get off my soapbox. I love you guys. I'm going to pray. Father, we love you, Lord. We just thank you. We thank you, Father, that we too can have the mind of, of, of you, the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ. We can We can be people who are after your own heart, just as David. David is not just some story. Father of, of of some guy thousands of years ago that pursued you, Lord, and, and pursued a relationship with you, Lord. No, he was a real person, just as we are real people, Lord. And you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever, Lord. So you're the same God that was with David. You're the same God that's here right now in our presence. And every single room that's listening here, every vehicle, every workplace, everywhere, Father, you are there. So Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your presence, Father. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for what you're doing in our families. Thank you for what you're doing in our church, Lord God. Father, it blows my mind the things that you are doing for us, Lord. We praise you. We keep you. and We continue to magnify your name. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. All right, church. I love you guys. This was a good one. I wish I had more time. I had so much more to go over. But um, I will see you again next week. God bless. Thank you.